0: Joshua chapter number 3. Let me read the first 13 verses of this chapter. And then I want to preach on a little thought out of chapter number 4. Or uh, verse number 4. The Bible says in verse number 1, "...And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. And they commanded the people, saying, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about two thousand cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go. For ye have not passed this way heretofore. Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and pass over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant, and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither, and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that He will, without fail, drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan. Now therefore take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe a man. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the souls of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. I pray that the Word of God would stir hearts... Give us, Lord, courage. Give us confidence. Give us comfort tonight through Your Word. And Lord, if there's any area of our life that's at aught with Thee, then give us conviction, Father. and Draw us into an attitude of self-examination. And may we give up those things that uh, put a, a wedge between us and Thee. Lord. I pray that You'd be glorified in all that happens. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we said, this is a preparation time, a, a, a preparation stage... For the children of Israel, before they go in to conquer the land. And God teaches them some things whenever you go through these first few chapters. In the first chapter, God gives them a leader and reminds them of who that leader is. Listen, if we're going to grow in the Lord, we've got to recognize who the leader is. Amen? And we've got to get it through our head that He's the boss and we're not. He's God and we're not. For the children of Israel, that leader, of course, was Joshua. In Chapter number two, the spies go into the land, and uh, they uh, the two spies do to see the uh, the city of Jericho and they meet a woman by the name of Rahab who is a harlot and you probably know the story of how that uh, they make a covenant with her that uh, if she 'll not hell on them, if she'll not reveal who they are, and if she'll not warn the enemy, and if she will hang that scarlet cord outside her window, then when the walls of Jericho tumble down, uh, she'll be saved. And uh, of course, there's beautiful typology there about the blood of Jesus Christ. The only way you're going to get through is to have that scarlet cord of the blood of Jesus Christ hanging from your heart's window. But I believe to the children of Israel, they were taught about the providence of God. God had put just the right person, though she seemed like the wrong person, though she seemed like the last person you'd want, God put just the right person in the right place at the right time to give shelter to the spies. Uh, Has it ever dawned on you that if those spies hadn't returned back, probably the entrance into the land of Canaan would at the very least have been delayed, at the very worst derailed. But God in His providence was leading them. When we get down to chapter number 5... I won't preach it tonight, but you get down to chapter number five, and they're getting ready for the battle. And Joshua's standing over the hillside by Jericho, and uh, he's met by a mysterious man that approaches unto him. And uh, Joshua calls out to him says, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And this man answers back and says, nay, but as captain of the army of the host of the Lord, am I now come. And this is a theophany. It's Christ pre-incarnate appearing in the Old Testament. And what he tells Joshua is, Joshua, I'm not, I'm not against you, I'm not for you, I'm above you. This is my army, this is my battle, this is my war, amen? <laughs> and uh, you better get your army under subjection to me if you want to win this thing. And we're reminded about the power and governance and authority of God. If we want any venture to be a success, we better get under the umbrella of God's governance. We better allow Him to lead and allow Him to guide and allow Him to have His way. It ain't our army. It's His army. Amen? In chapter number 3, we have an important lesson that is taught on the topic and ideal of patience. God is getting ready to lead them through their first great obstacle in their journey into Canaan, which is the River of Jordan. The River of Jordan, of course, is nowhere near as large as the Red Sea, but during its flood season, we know something about that in East Tennessee right now, during its flood season... Uh, the the banks of the Jordan would swell, and it would become an uncrossable uh, river. And in fact, they had just as much chance of getting across the Red Sea as they had of getting across Jordan. So God has brought them to this place, and He's getting ready to lead them across the Jordan River, and He's getting ready to do a miracle in their life as a nation. But before He does, He gives a very simple... But on the face of it, strange instruction. Look at verse number 4. The Lord says, yet there shall be a space between you and it. Let me back up to verse 3. Bible says, and they commanded the people, saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. You need to follow the ark. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go. For ye have not passed this way heretofore. God tells the children of Israel, I'm going to lead you, I'm going to guide you, I'm going to bring you into the land. But as I lead you, I need you to give me a little space to do so. Two thousand cubits, if we use the Roman reckoning of what a cubit is, is about the length of a football field. It's about three hundred feet. So if you want to know how far they had to stay back, you've seen it on TV. It's about that far. Amen? And uh no, you've you've probably been to a football field, stood on a football field before and and seen 300 feet, 100 yards. And that best as we can tell is about how far they were to stand back. God says, I'm going to lead you. And I don't want you to lose sight of me. And I want you to follow in my path. But I want you to give me enough space to lead you. Me and my wife were watching a show about Formula One racing the other day. And uh, we were watching a little bit about the history of a racer by the name of Jim Clark. I don't know if you've ever heard of who Jim Clark is. Jim Clark was a Formula One racer, although he raced in just about every type of racing that you could imagine. And uh, he died back in, I believe it was 65 or 66, in a car crash uh, in France. But he had won all these. He had won Formula One championships, Formula uh, Two championships. He had won, uh, like, uh, not rally car, but like uh, sedan, like saloon-style racing car championships. And then he got bored with all that, so he came to America and won the Indy 500. And Jim Clark was was a superstar of racing back in that time. And uh, he had, uh, of the Grand Slams, winning the three major categories, he had eight of them. And uh, he had something like 11 back-to-back world title uh, wins. Uh, so Jim Clark, he, I mean, he was it was unreal. And we were watching this history about Jim Clark and about racing. And, you know, if you've ever watched racing or been a part of any type of racing, you know that in just a matter of a few seconds, you can cover a lot of ground. Most time, if you're watching some kind of racing and you look at the standings of the racers, I mean, they break it up into tenths and sometimes hundredths of a second because that can literally be the difference. I mean, you can cross 15, 20 feet in a hundredth of a second when you're moving at the speeds that they're moving at. And we were watching, we had to rewind it because we thought, man, surely that's a mistake, but it wasn't. It said that Jim Clark, I believe when he won the Indy 500, he was two minutes ahead of the next car, the second place car. Another race that he ran, I can't remember which one it was, but it said that he won that race by five minutes. Five minutes. Hey, there's liberal preachers in town that are going to get their whole sermon preached in the time that Jim Clark, the the, the distance, the lead that he had over the number two car. You might say, well, why is that significance? Because distance... When it relates to racing and following and leading, distance relates to time. And when you say five minutes, you're imagining not the time that it takes, but you're imagining the space that was required. If we could reverse engineer that, God says to the children of Israel, I want you following me, I want you right in my footsteps, but I don't want you following too closely. Now, of course, we know the Lord's not saying He wants them to stray from His path. And in fact, we find that when God performs this miracle in the Jordan River, if they had strayed from God's path, they would have drowned. So He's not talking about not following too close in the sense of strength, but He's talking about giving Him time to lead them in the right way. Let me tell you what most of us struggle with more than anything in this world, and it's the principle and ideal and practice of patience. We, we want the right thing, we just want it right now. <laughs> I I say that sincerely, giving you the benefit of the doubt. I trust you want God's will for your life. But let me tell you, you can want God's will for your life and still get into a mess of trouble by wanting it on your own time instead of on God's time. Yes, you ought to follow Him. But don't get impatient on God. Give Him space and time to lead you. When things are not going the way you're expecting, when you can't find a solution, don't get nervous, don't get froggy and jump. Give Him time to lead you the right way. I see in our text here tonight three reasons why it was so necessary for them to to maintain this distance, to give this space for God to lead them the right way. The first is found in verse number 4. The Bible says at the end of verse number 4, that they're to come not near unto it. Why? That ye may know the way by which ye must go. For ye have not passed this way here to four, We say, number one, that we ought to give God the time and space to lead us. In other words, we ought to be patient and wait on God's guidance because there are ways that are unknowable. Unknowable. One of the things we've worked on with my little boy when we're walking through stores is we tell him all the time, now you stay right beside us. And we've we tried to work giving him more independence. He's to an age now, we don't always hold his hand, but we always kind of keep an eye on him and everything. Sometimes we'll have him walk and hold the buggy. But we always say to him, stay right here. And that works pretty good until you get within two miles of a candy bar, of a toy, of anything with a superhero on it, anything Legos, amen? (laughs) And when he gets close to that, boom! He wants to take off and run. In fact, we've gotten to where we'll look for it. I can tell you where all the toys are in stores, because I figured out how to avoid them, amen? Because the first thing he'll do is he assumes that we want to go where he wants to go. He sees that toy, and it would never occur to him that we would not be planning to go to that toy. And so he just does us the favor of, of getting there to make sure everything's safe before we get there because He has assumed our mind and He oftentimes, He'll run off ahead of us and we'll have to say, son, get back here. Stand right beside me. You know, the reality is the danger in walking too close to God in not giving Him space is not that we're going to be close to Him. The danger is that we'll get ahead of Him. And we'll get ahead of Him for the same reason that our children get ahead of us in the store. They get ahead of us because they think they know what we're thinking. But they don't always know what we're thinking. You know, very often, we're paying more attention than they are. We're looking around. We're scanning the scenery and the landscape for dangers... And we know the dangers that are out there. Very often we know what direction we need to go. We know where we need to go to accomplish what we need to accomplish. We're higher up than them. Amen? And we have a better vantage point. There are a million reasons why it is not okay for them to assume our mind. And all those reasons are valid when it comes to the Lord too. You know, the fact is, you may think you know what God's doing. You may know a little bit of what God's doing. But you probably, in fact, I guarantee you don't know all of what God's doing. And the danger is, because we're walking close to Him, and that's a precious thing to walk close to Him, because we're walking close to Him, we assume that we're God enough to make up His mind for Him, to get ahead of Him, and to go whatever direction we see fit, assuming God is going to go along with us. Another example of this is in the New Testament. When Christ was a young man, in fact, the only episode from his adolescent years that are recorded in Scripture when they come up to Jerusalem uh, for the sacrifice and uh, he's there in the temple disputing with the rabbis and the priests and the scribes and his parents get ready and, they, and it's time to leave. And so they just load up and they assume he's in the midst and they just take off back towards Nazareth. And on the journey there, by the time they get about a day's journey out, they start looking around and realize they done walked off and forgot God. And they say, we better get back there and we better find him. And they come back and they're angry and, and Mary scolds the Lord Jesus. And she says something that's very telling. She says, Wish ye not that I and my father have been searching for you. We've been looking for you. And he says, she basically says, what do you think you're doing? Why did you do this to us? I and your father have been searching for you. We've been looking for you. We sought thee with much sorrow. And he says, Wish ye not that I must be about my father's, capital F, father's business? And this was his gentle way of saying, Mama, there are things that you don't know that God is doing right now. And you better be careful about assuming the direction that God's going to take and instead allow Him to lead. They would have been far better off if they just stuck close to Him. They would have heard and learned things that were unspeakable. But because they got... Anxious, they got impatient, they got ahead of Him. They caused a big mess. The fact is, you may think you know the right direction. You may even be right to some degree. But listen, God's leading, God's providence is not just about the the, the place and not just about the way, it's also about the timing. And the fact is, there are things that you and I don't know, there are paths that we've not been down before, and we must have God's leading. We must not get impatient. The reason was not because... By the way, they could have followed Him just as carefully if they had been 200 inches behind Him instead of 2,000 cubits. You know what God knew? He knew they wouldn't stay 200 inches behind Him. He knew it wouldn't be long. They'd be 2,000 cubits in front of Him. And the same thing is true of us. we got We got to be patient. We've got to give God time... To lead. Let me give you a second thing. Look down at verse number 11, and we're for a very distinct reason, we're skipping over some verses that we're going to go back and pick up. So they arrive at the Jordan River, and this presents a problem to them. In fact, the problem is they have no way across. The Bible says, verse 11, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan. Now, therefore, take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe a man. Listen carefully to this. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord. So everybody else ought to be 2,000 cubits behind them. As soon as their souls rest in the waters of Jordan, the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap. Let me give you a second reason why we ought to give God the space that He needs to lead us. The first is because there are ways unknowable. But number two, it's because there's waters uncrossable. The fact is, there was only one way they were going to get across the Jordan River. And that was if God went in front of them. If they had gotten ahead of God, if they had gotten in a hurry, if they had ran out in front of Him, they would have got there and they would have had two choices. Stop or drown trying to get across. But because they were willing to wait and allow God to go first, God made a way where there was no way. Listen, that's why the timing of what God's doing is so imperative, so important in our lives. Because very often, if we arrive at the river before He does, we'll grow discouraged or we'll make foolish decisions because we've already gotten there by impatience and we allow impatience to govern us and to dictate what we do. But the fact is, you're going to come across things in your life that are too big for you to handle. And if you assume the governance and leading of your own life, and not yield to the Lord's leading in the Lord's direction, you're liable to make shipwreck of yourself trying to fix things, solve things, cross things that are bigger than you are, and that are beyond your capacity to handle. There are times in our life that there are things so big that no one could handle them. No one at this season of the year when they're crossing would have been able to cross here. But God can do impossible things. And when it's His will, when it's His timing, He will do impossible things. I, I, I could give you story after story of what God has done in my life in the lives of others. times when He's touched people and healed people and opened doors and closed doors where they needed to be closed and arrested people's attention and hearts where we thought it was impossible. But suffice it to say that there are no waters uncrossable to Him. He doesn't have to go over them. He can go through them. He can move them out of the way. He can handle them any way that He pleases. By the way, if He wants to go over them, He can walk on top of them. He can do anything that He wants. Uh, the book of Psalms says that He can make rivers a dry place in a wilderness. If He wants, He can dry up the place. God can do anything that He pleases. The fact is, you and I are limited in our capacity and wisdom and ability to address the waters that we come to. If we don't allow God to go first, we're going to make a mess of things. So you better make sure when you come to these uncrossable rivers that you're not trying to build a bridge across. Instead, you're waiting on the presence of God to go before you and to make a way where you cannot make a way. Look back at verse number 5. I'm going to give you this one final thought and be done. You don't believe that, but it's true. Verse number 5. We skipped over this for a reason because I wanted you to see why God did what He did here. Because here's the thing, let's, let's just imagine if we will for a moment. Let's imagine that they got ahead of the Lord, but they knew what direction He was going. And they knew He was going to the Jordan River. So they wound up going to the right place. Let's imagine for a moment that they got there and the river was uncrossable and there was no way they could get across it. But they didn't do the foolish thing of trying to cross it. They waited on the Lord and eventually the ark comes through and the ark goes in front of them. Even if everything, this is what I want you to get, even if everything kind of, sort of worked out, and that's a lot of times what we're hoping for, just that it'll kind of, sort of work out, even if it had all kind of, sort of worked out, there still would have been something missing. Look back at verse number 5. Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves. That word sanctify means a lot of things, but in this situation, what it means is get ready. Get ready. Uh, Ready yourself because... Tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, pass over before the people. They took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby, hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you. And that He will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Hivites, and the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. And he goes on to describe what we read a moment ago, how God's going to part the Jordan River before The reason you need to give God time and space, be patient with the Lord's leading, is because there are ways unknowable. You don't know the right way. You may think you know the right way, but you don't have the knowledge God knows for a very simple reason. Not because you ain't smart. You might be, you might not be. But simply, you've not been this way before. You know, a cartographer, you know what a cartographer A cartographer is a map maker. Ain't never been a cartographer been able to do his trade from the comfort of his desk chair. He's got to get out and explore. You know why? Because no amount of surmising and calculating, no amount of smarts and brilliance can get the job done. You've got to walk the land to know what the lay of it is. And you may be smart. And you may have made a lot of good decisions in life. You may still be making good decisions. I hope you are. But the fact is, you ain't never been this way before. So you need God's leading. There are ways unknowable. Number two, there are waters Uncrossable. You're going to come into things that you cannot cross, you cannot face without God's help and God's timing. Number three, and I'm done tonight, there are works unbelievable. You see, the purpose of this was not simply to get them across the Jordan River. If God had wanted to, he could have snapped his fingers he didn 't even have to go to the effort of snapping his fingers. He could have willed it so that they were uh, that they just merely immaterialized and rematerialized on the other side of the Jordan River. He could have done it in such a way that they would have never even known that they had ever been on the other side of the Jordan River. God does what he does for a very specific reason, and that 's the point. God does what he does the way He does it, for a very specific reason. We see that God, doing this the way He did it, did a few things. One, it readied them for the battle. Uh, Joshua said, sanctify yourselves. In other words, if there's any sin in your life, get it out. If there's anything unclean about you, ceremonially unclean, get it dealt with, get it took care of, get your house in order, get your soul in order, get ready, because God's going to do something amazing. Oftentimes, the reason that God has us waiting during a season period of of waiting in our life, is because He's trying to get us to ready ourselves for Him to do great things in our life. Not only that, God certifies the leadership of Joshua. God, in other words, gave them confidence in their leader. The Lord says, starting today, I'm going to magnify you in, in the eyes of the nation of Israel, the same way I did Moses. They're going to see you in the same light. And by the way, God said about Moses that Moses was as God to Aaron. Aaron was the head of the priesthood. In other words, the only uh, in the nation of Israel's mind and eye, they saw Moses as being the advocate, the mediator of of the old covenant, the intercessor between them and God. He was the one that went up on the mountain, got the tablets, and came back down. And now God says, Joshua, I'm going to put you in the same place I put Moses in. What He's saying is, I'm going to give you confidence in your leadership, Israel. And oftentimes during those waiting seasons, God is performing a million other miracles in our life, little things that will often go unnoticed if we're not careful. But in those things, He is fortifying and strengthening our resolve and faith to try to get us ready for the bigger things that He's going to do later on. And then finally, what He does is He proves to them both the realness of His presence among them and the resolve of His power to lead them and to drive out their enemies. In verse number 10, He says, Through this, hereby, by me doing this thing, ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that He will without fail drive out from before you, and He goes through the laundry list of their enemies. Now imagine with me for a moment, what would have happened if they had arrived there before the ark arrived there? And all of a sudden you've got this big backlog of people that has bottlenecked there at the river. And they're pressing one upon each other. By the time that the ark had gotten there, by the time that God was leading them across, they would have quit paying attention to what God was doing and started paying attention to merely getting across to safety. But because God designed it in the way that He did, so that a football field's length, before the first person ever got there, the Ark of the Covenant would be sitting right in the middle of the Jordan River with the waters piled up, heaped up on either side. And it would provide a very fitting way, almost like a tour for the children of Israel as they came to the Jordan River and walked down onto the dry land and walked past the Ark of the Covenant in a very orderly very, uh, very appropriate, very effective way for them to see exactly what God was doing. You know why you need to give God the space it takes to lead you? Because very often He's trying to teach you things that you can't learn any other way. Listen, the, the fact is, don't none of us like being in school. You weren't one of those weird people, were you, that liked school? I hope you weren't. I hated school. I went to a good school. I made decent grades, not great grades, that I got through with relatively no effort. I had unlimited potential and did not, to the nth degree, implement any of it. I just coasted through. <laughs> and uh, But, you know, my school experience was alright, but I was not a big fan of school. I remember people telling me when I was in school, these are the greatest days of your life, and that always depressed me. <laughs> and I got news for you, that's a lie. Man, it's way better when you get out of school. Now, now the things that are hard are harder. Don't misunderstand me. Life gets more real, right? But you can go to the bathroom without asking permission, unless you're married. You can, you can talk whenever you want to, unless you're married. You can, (coughs) you can stay up as late as you want to, unless you're married. The, The fact of the matter is, life gets a lot better. I was not one of those people that really enjoyed school. And part of the reason that I did not enjoy school was I just was not a big fan of the learning process. It bored me very often. There was a few classes that I enjoyed, but I was one of those kids that just got bored in school and got bored in class. Oftentimes, I just did not care to learn the lessons that they wanted to teach me. And you know, sometimes I have a tendency to be that way with God. How many times have you said to yourself, I wish God would just get to the point? Have you ever said that? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought when God was doing something in your life, well, boy, I wish the Lord would just go ahead and tell me what He's trying to teach me so I could get through this, so I could get past this, so I could get things to where I want them to be. Has it ever dawned on you that getting to the point might be the point? And i say that God isn't doing something in, 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 when you get there, but everything God does, He does for a reason. Consider, in fact, the dispensation of the law under which all this is transpiring. For 1,500 years, the children of Israel walked under the law and bore the yoke and the bondage of it. And later on, Paul tells us in the book of Galatians that all that was with a reason that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. That that waiting season was for a very distinct reason and that God was teaching Humanity, things they could not learn in any other way. Listen, the the, the shortest distance between where you're at and where you truly want to be, I mean, in the scope of eternal knowledge, where you're at and where you truly want to be is God's will. It's the shortest distance. It's the straightest line. And you may say, well, preacher, I don't want to wait on God. I don't want to do it God's way. I don't want to be patient. But if you get impatient, you're going to miss out on all the big important truths that God is teaching you, how He's developing you, how He's growing you in the process. God is not going to waste your time. He's certainly not going to waste His time. If He's got you in this season where you feel like you've been pushed back a little bit and you're looking a football field's distance to where you see God's presence and you're getting impatient you want to get ahead of the Lord and you want to run up and do things in your own timing, just stop. Calm down. Give Him a little space. Because if you get ahead of Him, you're very apt to make a mess of your life. Instead, give God the space to lead. He's not going to lead you astray. He's not going to be too late. That's what we're afraid of. We're afraid that He'll just wait too long and it'll be too late and we'll miss the opportunity and things won't turn out the way that we think. God has never been late for anything. Man, He showed up four days after a man died and raised Him from the dead. God ain't never been late for anything. Reality's clock is set to His and not vice versa. And so we can rest assured that if we'll just give Him the space to lead us, He will lead us not just in the right paths, but in the right timing, in the right way. And through the process, He'll enrich our our spiritual development. He'll grow us in Him and in grace, and we'll be the better off for it.